This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hello, thank you for joining us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. We are back and super excited. I'm your host, Tyler Hurley, here with Robbie Lashua. Yep, I'm here as well, Robbie Lashua, yep. in the house, well, closet. This in is the kind closet. of like a, yeah, yeah. this is a, <laughs> this is a old storage closet where we record. It, it used show, to be, so. yeah. It's been repurposed and it looks, yeah. I mean, you know, we've... Brandon's done an awesome job with it, yeah, that's yeah. for sure. And yep. been, we love that guy. We've been here for a while now and it's, it's, it's been a nice place to record, so. It is. Good. Yep, it's great. Well, hey, thanks so much for being with us today. We're going to continue talking about sex and... Uh, what the Bible has to say about it. And specifically, we're going to talk about uh, fornication, cohabitation, sex before marriage. Yeah. That's kind of the theme for today. Exactly. And what scripture talks yeah, about. And th- this is something that uh, a lot of Christians need to understand. It's something that is a part of our theology and why we do what we do as far as our sexual practices. So yep. we're trying to make sure that uh, that's clear and that we have an understanding of where we should be coming from in approaching people who maybe take a look, a different look at sex based off of what culture tells us. So mm. we're trying to kind of combat that with this episode. Yeah, we also want Christians to understand what the Bible says about it because to be honest, yeah. a lot of Christians aren't following the sexual ethic of the Bible. That's, that's very true. And the sad mm. part of it is, <clears throat> is it's bad for us when we don't follow what scripture says. God tells us mm. what to do especially sexually, because it's the best thing for us and it leads to human thriving. Uh, and when we go yeah. against his plan, it hurts and it brings problems. Yeah, and this so- is something that's with Christians, non-Christians, like that, like people are doing this differently. And so we need to address it. And that's what we're yep. going to do today. Absolutely. Now, yeah. before we do that, we always start off with a coffee tip here on Christ Culture and Coffee. We've got our coffees going. Mm-hmm. Tyler, what are you drinking today? I'm drinking a caramel latte from Black Oh, Rock. that's good. Yes. Dude, so I, uh, really good. I am having, uh, in my beautiful Christ Culture and Coffee mug, actually, Okay. Uh, uh, I'm having uh, a oat milk latte. I had to switch to oat milk because my doctors have me stay off of cow milk for a while. Okay. But dude, I am loving oat milk. Yeah, actually. Like a ton. It's so good. Actually, yeah. Maddie, my wife, uh, she really likes oat milk. It's great, dude. Yeah, she has it in her coffee a lot, actually. It's almost like Mm -hmm. the more I drink it, the more I like it. Yeah. (laughs) It's weird. So anyway, I'm loving this oat milk latte. It's good. But anyways, coffee tip for today. All right. Now here is is, uh, an interesting coffee tip. So um, drinking our our coffee is important, right? And a lot of people do it to wake up in the morning uh, a lot, yes. right? That's kind of the thing. It's like, I need coffee to get going in the morning. Well, here's the thing. <clears throat> Everybody has this thing in their body, and it's called your circadian clock, which is a 24-hour hormonal cycle that occurs within your body. And it kind of regulates things, like for uh, being tired, being hungry, being awake. <clears throat> you oh, okay. have this hormonal cycle that goes on in your body every day. Okay? Okay. So here's the thing. At a certain point in time, in this rhythm of the circadian clock, cortisol uh, is produced in your body, which is a hormone that makes you feel awake and alert. Mm. Here's the thing. It peaks between 8 a.m. and 9 a.m., which means at that time, you are pretty much naturally alert and awake, kind of like you don't need caffeine at that time of the day. What? How did... How... So... Between 8 and 9 a.m.? Yes. That's really That's interesting. That's typically when it peaks, all right? So there's a few times a day where this hormone's being produced more, but then it kind of okay. shuts off. But really what it's there for, one of the reasons it's there, is to help you feel alert and awake. So 8 to 9 is when this cortisol um, <clears throat> volume is highest, and you're really alert and awake. So during that time, 
eight to nine o'clock, you probably shouldn't drink coffee because you're already kind of naturally caffeinated from your cortisol at that time. So the, like the first hour or so after you wake up? No, eight to nine a.m. That's so weird. It is kind of weird. Thinking about that because most like, people drink coffee during that time. Yeah. Or what about people who like like uh, like work overnight and they have a different? Listen, is it all I haven't done extensive okay, studies okay, on this. Right, yeah, I don't right. know. I just I'm just <laughs> thinking. I'm like, dang, that's crazy. It's like it eight is. to nine a.m. Wow. But yeah. the the reason they say you shouldn't drink coffee yeah. between eight and nine a.m. when your cortisol levels are their highest is because the caffeine's not going to be very effective because you're already alert and awake. That's crazy. So it's kind wow. of a waste of the coffee during that time. But the second reason is a bigger deal to me. By drinking coffee at the time when your cortisol levels are highest, um, your body obviously doesn't need it at yeah. that time. So what happens is your body builds up a tolerance to caffeine faster and the effects of caffeine at other times of the day won't be as much. You won't get as much of a buzz from caffeine That's crazy. because you're drinking it when you don't need it and your body builds a tolerance. That makes sense though. Yeah so, I, yeah, so, yeah. so the tip, the tip for the day with all of this in mind is drink your coffee after your cortisol levels have dropped. And I can tell you when this happens. The best time to drink coffee when your cortisol levels have dropped is uh, between 9.30 and 11.30 a.m. and then between 1.30 and 5 p.m. That's nuts. Wow. Yeah. So if you drink it between 9.30 and 11.30 a.m., 1.30 p.m. and 5 p.m., that's the best optimal time for the caffeine to really be useful. the second time right now. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. It's, it is the second it's time for us right now. between 1.30 and 5 p.m. Yep. Right so this now, will so. be effective. Yeah, it nice? will. It will. But that's, that's, a, that's a coffee tip for today. The time you drink your coffee actually matters to the caffeine's you know, effectiveness. That, that one's really fascinating because that's, I mean, we've done a lot, a lot of episodes of this podcast and mm -hmm. we've had a different coffee tip for everyone. I've never heard that before. Yeah. That's pretty fascinating, like that. right? Yeah, it's That's cool. really cool. So it's crazy how many different things that you can get out of coffee and that we've been able to have these constant tips yeah. every episode for this long. So there's always more to learn. What do you know? Yeah. What do you know? So it's kind it's of fun. A, pretty cool. Yep. Yeah. But let's get into the topic for let's do today. It. Yeah, let's do it. So um, we want to talk about this term that's in scripture. And the word in Greek is the word porneia, or some, pe some people pronounce it porneia, right? P-O-R-N-E-A, porneia. And what this word means, obviously you can tell we get our word pornography from it, right? right? Yeah. But the word means unlawful sexual intercourse, prostitution, unchastity, fornication. It's really like a junk drawer term for a bunch of different sexual immoral acts. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a good way to describe yeah, it. Yeah, junk drawer like in pornea, mm -hmm. in anything that's deviant from the way God designed things to be. Now, when we think about it, and we talked about this last week, is that the, God's design for sex is one man and one woman being uh, becoming one flesh for right. one yeah. lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. That's a marriage, and that's where sex is supposed to take place. And so anything outside of that is porneia yeah. in a sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so we want to look at some scriptures that talked about this. Now, um, uh, the, the ESV and the NASB, they do translate it. Uh, it used to be translated as fornication most of the time. Mm. That's not how it's translated anymore because fornication kind of has a distinct meaning That's to true, it. That's true, it does. But yeah. porneia can mean a few different things. So let's look at some scriptures and see where this term is used. Yeah, of course. So <laughs> in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5, it says, For this is the will of God 
your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Right? And it said yep. sexual immorality. That's right? the word porneia. Yep. Sexual yeah. immorality. I love that passage too. This is the will of God mm. for your life. Yeah. Yeah. Your sanctification. I like I like how it says for your sanctification. I, that's very yep. specific. That's yeah. really good. It's like for And then he clarifies it, yeah. that you abstain from sexual immorality, mm-hmm. that you learn how to control the sexual members of your body in honor, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was a <clears throat> youth pastor and sometimes kids would ask me, what do you think the will of God is for my life? I'd be like, oh, I can tell you right now. First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. That you control your sexual urges. And they'd be like, what? That doesn't say that. I'm like, it literally says that's the will of God for your life. You know, I don't know if he cares about what college you go to as much as he cares about you being sexually honorable. So anyway, that is a, it's a great passage. I don't care what college you go to. Yeah, I don't care who you marry, what college you go to, what your job's going to be. How about you start with this one? Uh, anyway, but yeah, it's a good passage to, to, to see where porneia is used, but yeah. it's abstained from all these different types of unlawful, non-biblical sexual sins. That's what we need to do. Yeah. Another passage where it talks about this <clears throat> is Acts 15, 19 through 20. This is a fascinating passage because this is, um, this is when the Jerusalem council is taking place. So Paul and Barnabas have traveled all around the world, and they are uh, planting churches, sharing the gospel. But then there were always Judaizers who came in and told people, okay, but you need to follow the Old Testament law, right? Like that's why Galatians yeah, yeah. was written and all these other books were written. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so Paul and Barnabas and Peter and John and James, Jesus' brother, have this huge church council. Uh, that's called the Jerusalem Council. And they get together, and basically what they were deciding was, what of the Old Testament law do Gentile Christians need to follow? It's kind of an interesting question. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, just to differentiate from like some of the cultural impl- implications yeah. that were there and the previous law and say, okay, what needs to be followed now by everyone? Yep. Yeah. And what's our official stance on this? Exactly. And yes. so Jesus' brother, his half-brother James, speaks up, and this is what he says in Acts 15, 19 through 20. He says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality, porneia, Mm -hmm. and from what has been strangled in its own blood. And so those are the three things he says they need to follow. One of them, think about this. One of them is, hey, sexual immorality is really bad for human beings. That isn't just a Old Mm. Testament law thing. That is a moral law for all people for all time thing. And we need to abstain from doing sex uh, in any way, shape, or form that isn't the way God designed it to be. Oh, of course. So I think that's fascinating that that was one of the decisions made by the church council saying, look, this isn't about Mosaic law. Yeah. This is about moral law for all people for all time. Exactly. And I, I think that was a good, um, good good analysis that they made there. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I'm going to read another passage where they address this. It, it's in um, 1 Corinthians 6, 13 through 20. It says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, mm. and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, uh, sorry, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined 
with the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your own body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have have from God? You are not of your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Such a cool passage. Yeah, <clears throat> Paul yeah. really talks about this oneness, unity with Christ that we have. Mm-hmm. And when we are sexually immoral, that isn't what our bodies were designed for. Yeah. Our, our bodies were designed to glorify the Lord. Yeah, and I find it interesting, too. It actually touches base on uh, what we talked about last week, right? Mm-hmm. The whole aspect of being one flesh, right? Yes. I love that part of the passage where uh, he turns it and he says, um, exactly, for as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined with the Lord becomes one spirit spirit yep. with him. That's that's really interesting because you're thinking it through and it's saying like, no, you're you're with the Lord now. You're one with him. You shouldn't be seeking out for this, right? Yeah, and when you do seek it out and you, yeah. you, you sleep and with, the the with the prostitute, yeah. then you're joining Christ with the prostitute is what he's saying. Yeah, yeah. He's saying we, shouldn't, we probably shouldn't do that. No, of course. That's a terrible yeah. idea, exactly. right? Exactly. And so it's, it's just such a good passage. Like they, they it is. They try to apply... Oh, like a real world situation with what's happening theologically. Well, yeah. and in Corinth, there was temple prostitution. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, so it was like a thing. That it, they, that's why they use that as an example. It's because <laughs> yeah. it kept occurring. Because yeah. it was actually happening. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, it's it's interesting. Again, there you see sexual immorality, sexual immorality, right? Mm. Pornea, pornea. You got to abstain from pornea. Now, the thing is this. Like I said, it can be used as like a junk drawer term for a bunch of different <laughs> sexual deviations. But... Um, sometimes it's used in a more specific way. So sometimes it's listed with a whole bunch of sexual sins, which mean it's not the other sins it's listed with. Mm, that, that, yeah. So, so sometimes point. we'll see it listed with adultery, pornea and adultery, which means that when they're talking about pornea, they're not talking about adultery because they also list adultery. It's got to be something else. So yeah. it must be something else, right? And so when we can, when we see it in conjunction with other sexual sins, we can kind of define it as a more specific thing in those mm. contexts. Contexts. Yeah. Contexts. Yeah. That's we had that problem yeah. when we did the context series. <laughs> yeah, Remember we did, that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> contexts. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. But one of the things that it does mean um, is sex before you are married. Right. Yeah. All right. So, so adultery is obviously sex after you're married. Mm-hmm. Uh, fornication. Hmm is sex before you're married. Yeah, it's different. It, there, there's yeah, a difference. It's a diff- yeah, there's a difference in the deviation from what God has designed. So let's look mm-hmm. at a passage. You got a passage here where yeah. Jesus is talking about this, and he kind of lists these together. Yeah, and this is Mark 7, 20 through 23. Uh, it says, And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, are out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. And there it is. So yeah. he lists, if you think about it, he says sexual immorality yeah. and adultery and sensuality. Yeah, I was thinking of that. Yeah. Sensuality too. That's the third one. Yeah. So, yeah. so so pernea in this context can't be meaning adultery because then it'd be redundant. He says it again. Yeah. So and it when, doesn't mean sensuality, right? Yeah. It's going to be redundant again. It was used in the area where sexual immorality was, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's where pornea is. Exactly. Yeah, so they have immorality. pornea included alongside 
differentiating from adultery and sensuality. Yeah. And right. so one of the things that in this context it would mean is sex before you're married. Yeah. And that's okay. that's the aspect of the word that we kind of want to hone in on here. Mm -hmm. The Bible teaches that sex is supposed to happen in a marriage and that it is a, a marriage is one man and one woman becoming one flesh for one lifetime. Mm. Anything outside of that is sin. Not one man and another man, not one woman and another woman. Yeah. One man, one woman, one flesh, one lifetime. So the problem we have with fornication or sex before marriage is that it's one man and one woman becoming one flesh, but not for one lifetime mm -hmm. because there isn't the commitment, there isn't the covenant between the two people. So fornication, it mm -hmm. lacks a uh, commitment from the people yeah. of the one lifetime aspect to it. That's why Christianity says, no, you should wait until you're married to have sex. Yeah. Because the marriage is the covenant. The marriage is the commitment of I'm going to be with you for a lifetime. Yeah. So they've got, yeah. you can have one man, one woman, one flesh, but it still isn't what God intended because there's not the one lifetime aspect to it. Exactly. And so when we go outside of the parameters that God has established for us when it comes to sexuality, it's always bad for us. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's just, you got to think, like that commitment aspect is really important. Just from a worldly standpoint too, like not even theologically, like, mm -hmm. like you got to think about it. Like when you're, if you're having sex with someone and you're not married to them or like before you're married. Yeah. You and there, that covenant and that promise was never made. Like you don't have their word that they're going to stay with you. There's sure. no commitment. They can just like they can find you in a vulnerable place sure. through the act of sex and then leave. But right, yep. like, and that's just one of many reasons. But it's like like you think philosophically about this and like from a cultural standpoint, like this this causes problems. It does cause yeah. problems. It causes tons of problems. It does. It absolutely yeah. does. And we're gonna keep getting into that. Um, but that's exactly what we're going to start with next is why is it bad for us, right? We need to address that. Why is this bad for us culturally? Yeah. Um, could it be that we were made or designed for monogamy, right? I, I think. Well, and see, that's the thing that's crazy, man, is like, yeah, I think yeah. we were designed for monogamy. I don't know. So let me ask you a personal question. Sure. Did you date any girls before Maddie? Actually, no, I didn't. Really? Oh, yeah, I, I know. I, I'm a rare one there. But for both of us, it's really funny. Like, we we never dated anyone That's awesome. Else. So let me yeah. tell you. So I, I dated one girl seriously before sure, yeah. I started dating my nothing wife. nothing wrong with dating other people. It well, just, thanks, we, we just Thank got you lucky, you know? Thanks so much. That's great. <laughs> right, there yeah. we go. Well, and I, I, it's funny because I dated this girl for like... Um, it was probably like nine months or something like that. So not mm. even a long time. Sure. I've been married for 13 years. Yeah, right? yeah, so, right. But it's so funny to me because um, at times, and it's just, it's. I think it's because I'm getting older, um, I will forget who I went on which date with. Huh. I always assume it's my wife because the majority of my dates I've ever gone on in my life have been with her. Right, yeah. But sometimes it will be the ex-girlfriend, oh. and I'll, I'll kind of like mix it in and forget about it. Oh, that's funny. Well, it's not funny. I mean, yeah. Because, <laughs> because it's, yeah, because yeah. it can cause problems. It never has, but you know. But I've, I've, thought, I've thought about, how is it when people like date, you know, 50 different women or sleep with, 50 different women mm. or live with a whole bunch of women in their 20s and 30s how do you even keep straight who was who like yeah. it's it's a crazy thought like we were made for monogamy like when it's just the one person not only is it healthier for everybody involved and the heartache isn't as bad but it's just easier even to remember yeah. 
There's so many little things like that. I never like even thought that. about it that way. Dude, it's Well, like crazy. I said, too, that's something that, like, I, I'm not exactly, uh, I can't exactly relate to that. Sure. But it's like, I can picture that. Like, that makes sense. You would have past memories of other, if you have, like, some form yeah. of, like, a of like a date or something like that with someone, <clears throat> like, of course that's going to blend together. Of course it does, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And that's where it gets into, like... I think when people pretend like, oh, no, I can be dating four girls at once and I can keep it straight, it's just like arrogance. Oh, no. I don't yeah. even, like, I don't even think it's, it's, it's very doable. Like, you were just a confused. And then you're also not giving all of yourself no. to any of them. You are, you're, you're bifurcating yourself, right? You're compartmentalizing yeah. things instead of wholly devoting yourself to a person. And so I just, I think... It, I think we can deduce from a lot of things that we were made for monogamy. I mean, just one of the facts is that it really hurts people when we don't live monogamously. It yeah, really it harms people, mm -hmm. right? But again, so many people are living together nowadays. Even, dude, yeah. and sadly, a lot of Christians are doing this. And they're going to church together, but they're living together and sleeping together. And this is just so against what Scripture says. Yeah, if, you, yeah. if you're in that situation, you need to get married. Call me. Mm -hmm. I can do marriages. I can do weddings. I can help you out today because we don't want to live a sinful lifestyle. Let's make things right the way that God yeah, has told yeah. us to. But it's just a bad situation for us. And so I wanted to kind of list some stuff about co uh, cohabitation yeah. stats. Mm -hmm. So there's this really good book out there that I wanted to plug. It's uh, by Glenn Stanton. And the book is called The Ring Makes All the Difference, Hidden Consequences of Cohabitation and the Strong Benefits of Marriage. And he lists, I mean, he studies this stuff. This is what he does. And he lists stats showing how cohabiting, living together with one another before you're married, yeah, yeah. actually isn't good for people. And again, this is this is from like a worldly idea too, like a cultural sure. thing. This is like like a real life thing. This isn't theological. This is like why it causes issues today. Like in Christians, non Christians, it causes yeah. problems. It's just not as good. Yeah. So let's let's list some of the stuff that mm -hmm. Glenn Stanton uh, showed. Yeah. One of the things is that cohabitors are twice as likely to report domestic violence. Mm -hmm. Now think about this. Domestic violence is happening in marriages a lot, unfortunately. Yeah. But why are people in cohabiting relationships twice as likely to report domestic violence? Well, it's because they likely, they're, if they're in that type of a relationship, I'm sure that uh, there's a lot of them out there that they just don't really fully care about each other. Yeah. Well, there's not a commitment no, to exactly. one another. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. It, it, you, it's a give take kind of thing. Yeah. It yeah. kind of makes some sense, right? Mm -hmm. That that kind of a thing would happen. Of course happen. it does. Yeah. Unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's sad. Right. And then um, also cohabitors are much more likely to cheat on their partner, which I think also kind of goes into domestic stuff, right? Sure. Like, like it's just abuse. It's... Yep. Uh, emotional, physical, and abandonment, right? Like those yeah. things, the lack of commitment, that's the problem. Well, why so wouldn't course. you cheat on them? Like what, what are you, think about this. What are yeah. you cheating on? Nothing. If there's no, there's no marriage covenant. Yeah. yeah. It's just, we're in, uh, we're roommates. Yeah. It's, I don't know. So it's sad, but yeah, more sure, likely to cheat. Sure. Another issue that uh, cohabitors have is this one's shocking. They have lower income and lower savings than married people. Now, this is interesting, Tyler, because uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about finances being the driving force to move in with their boyfriend or girlfriend. If we just move in together, uh, it's half the apartment cost, right? If we just move in together, we could save on food because we'd be cooking at home. If we just move in together, you would, instead of two separate lives, 
we can push it all together and we can actually make a lot of money. I've heard yeah. this so many times, but the stats don't pan out actually. No, no. It, they have less savings. They have less income. It doesn't work. And you know what's really crazy about this? And this is kind of a, a weird uh, cultural phenomenon going on. But there are a lot of people in retirement communities who are falling into this trap. You know what? I've heard of that. Well, well, especially like in Arizona, it's big because there's a lot of retirement communities out yeah. here. Yeah. So I've heard of that. And so there's yeah. these people who move here and mm -hmm. they're either widowed or, you know, they move here and then their spouse dies while they're here. Yeah. And then they start dating somebody in their, you know, retirement community, but they don't want to get married because then it will play into their social security income. All of those things. Like, like there's other things that they're just yeah, like, I don't Yeah, or really my do. retirement or this or that. Yeah. And so it's really sad because mm -hmm. you have a, a generation of older people who instead of honoring the Lord in a marriage like they should, want money more than yeah. obedience to God. Yeah, that's what's happening. We can't do that. Like if obeying God costs you money... Oh my gosh, obey God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it's way better for us. But the crazy thing is this shows that cohabitors have lower incomes and lower savings than married people. Yeah, yeah. And then this one's this one's also interesting. Uh, cohabiting men are less likely to help with chores around the house. Interesting. Yeah. Now, see, this also kind of makes sense to me. It, it does. Well, well, you got to think about it. It's like, well, well, what, what are you going to do if I don't do the chores? You're going to like, like, because like, there's yeah. no, there's no commitment. That's the point. It's like, you, if you, this is the point we're trying to get across with these two. It's like, if you're not committed in your relationship, why would you commit to doing anything outside of that? Yeah. Like, like anything extra, right? Yeah. Why would you commit your, all your finances? Why would you commit your, your chore, like your chore time, your, your work, yeah. you know, like if you don't actually have that love commitment to the person through marriage. Well, cause men think about this yeah. men when they're single live a different lifestyle than when they get married. Of course. Yeah. In a cohabiting situation, you're still sort of single. Mm -hmm. When I when I lived with my roommate in college, you know Jeremiah, um, I can't say I was like stellar at doing chores. Oh no! You know what? Neither of us was, I and mean, you know what? Neither of us really cared. That's how it is. We, yeah, so you guys are single; <laughs> they don't care. And so you get in a situation where you're still like kind of single and independent and not tied down to this girl you're living with, but you have benefits of sleeping with her and having her there when you need her or whatever. Mm -hmm. But why do I need to act as if uh, this is our household and I'm upholding? That's exactly it. Yeah, it, it doesn't pan out. Guys are just like, I don't care about mm -hmm. it. I'm still single. I'm living as a single guy. Um, another, That's exactly another factor into that aspect is that cohabiting men are more likely to, um, engage in really dangerous activities like mm. being out really late at bars, like driving fast late at night. Uh, and it's because they don't feel the weight of responsibility of now I have a family no, because people who I have, have to take care of. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're essentially what's happening is that they're just living a little more, the more likely not again, these aren't all cases with some of these things, but this is much more likely is the point. The statistics show this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the thing is, is they're like, they're more likely to live recklessly because yeah. it's like, who, who cares? Like I'm just living for I'm myself. I'm just living because, for me. Yeah. yeah Cause that's exactly it. Cause they're not, they don't need to support this person because they're not in a committed point with them. So it's like, that's kind of where it's at. It's like, you got to think these things through. It's like, obviously if you're not 
giving that covenant marriage relationship, mm-hmm. all of your, your commitment, like you're, you're not tied down to it. It's like, I can do whatever I want. You haven't ever made the point of deciding to commit to the person. Mm. So there's no baseline for them to call you out and say, Hey, you signed up for this yeah, because yeah. I didn't sign up for anything that's exactly other it. than you're my roommate. And at any time I can break that deal. Yeah. Because it's not a legal covenant. It's nope. not a legal contract. It's just a verbal agreement that we have. And so there's not really a depth of we're in this thing together no. in a cohabiting relationship. There's not. And uh, that's just a recurring issue that a lot of them have. And so uh, speaking of uh, going along with that, it's uh, this also leads to more fights and disagreements. Yeah. That's something that happens a lot because it, it, they have more fights and disagreements in cohabiting relationships than in marriage. Yeah, yeah, relationships. exactly. It's true. This is just easier to like make sense of because you got to think if if you're not committed and you're not on the same team fighting for the other person, Mm -hmm. you're going to drift apart. You're going to disagree more often. And it it just, it's inevitable. It really is. Cause you got to think about it. Like, like, like people in a marriage relationship who have that commitment fight off fight quite a bit. Sure. Like it happens. And so like, like you got to think if you don't have even that, like a foundation Mm -hmm. for that, like, of course it's going to happen. Yeah, more if there's often. no commitment to I signed up for this and I got to work yeah, it I out. Yeah, I got to compromise. Person, I got to work things out. There can with be you. a I don't need to compromise. I can no. just leave. Yeah, exactly. It's and easy. that's always a threat that you can have, right? Yep. That's the thing. And so uh, that's just the case. So it's it's really interesting to see, but it, it's sad like it's true that cohabitors experience more fights and disagreements. It's true. It also is a bad environment for children to be raised in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so kids that are living with parents who are cohabiting instead of being married are more likely uh, to end up in poverty. Mm. That's crazy, right? So ju- just the fact that your parents are married instead of your parents cohabiting, yeah, just yeah. that fact helps you not be less likely to end up in poverty if your parents are married. Yeah. And when they're cohabiting, you're more likely to end up mm-hmm. in poverty. Isn't that sad? Well, it's very sad. Yeah. And it's just... But it makes sense because cohabitors have lower income and savings. They do. Yeah. And there's not value on that. And it, it just... It, well, it makes sense. Not to mention, like, like, think about this realistically. So, uh, so I'm going to use like an example. I won't name who it is, but I, I know people in my life who uh, were cohabiting for years, right? Mm -hmm. And they had kids together. Okay. And then uh, one day, uh, the man ended up having an affair, Mm. which it never really wasn't like an affair because it's like, well, they were never married. They weren't married. married. But this was years. They had two kids. He went and cheated. And then he left. He left her. And now uh, she was alone with those two kids now at that point. But it's like it happened years down the line. And there's tons of stories out there of this happening. Sure. So you got to think about this. So now what's happening is the kid, those two kids are under a single mom's income Mm. rather than the supporting father who left and just went to go start his own family with another person. So that's the thing. So it's like, so what happens now is of course these kids are more likely to end up in poverty because uh, because now they only are living under a single parent income. Mm Mm-hmm. And not only that, they don't have a father figure. I mean, he's still involved in their lives. Like I still know them and stuff and like they're still in touch, but it's like, they don't live together. Well, we know that's not ideal for kids to live in single parent homes. Of course, of course not. Not that single parents can't do a good job, but it's not the ideal. The ideal is to have your mom and dad in your house. Exactly. And that's not even something like we were bringing up here, but that's, that's another factor, right? If if cohabitors end up separating and they have kids that causes problems, It it often does happen. So, so, so that's sad. the thing. So it makes sense why children uh, would be more like more likely to end up in poverty. Yep, it's true. Yeah. And then not only that, they they also have um, 
economic and behavioral problems. That's another yep. thing that is seen through that. Yeah, the kids that, that grow up in cohabiting, they're not they're not as good in school and they have behavioral issues in school. Exactly. It's mm -hmm. so sad. Um, they're also, sadly, more likely to experience physical abuse, emotional abuse, and sexual abuse mm -hmm. than kids yeah. in uh, homes that are, that are of marriages. And so yeah. just you look at that, you know, and this is, you know, from Glenn Stanton's book, you look at that and you go, this seems like a bad idea. It, it really does. Yeah. It seems terrible. So Tyler, why do people get into this type of a thing? Yeah. Like what, what, what like what's the benefit? I mean, I get mm -hmm. having sex and not having to get married. Like I see that from a worldly standpoint, mm -hmm. but Christians are even doing this yeah. going against God's word. Why do people think, Hey, living together before you get married is a good idea because why? Yeah, well, the thing is, is typically men cohabit to see if marriage is something they want to pursue. That's what's interesting. I, I actually know someone mm -hmm. who, who took this approach, too, actually. Yeah, yeah like, like it, it, he he's no longer with the person who he was with at the time, but, like, he, he did this. Like, I, I literally had a conversation with him once, and he was like, he told me, he's like, yeah, like, I'm moving in with them because, like, I, I, I'm not sure if I want marriage, but by, like, sleeping around and, like, getting to experience that, I'll, like, figure out for myself what I want. And I'm like... Interesting. But but thinking that through, that's <clears throat> such a selfish mindset. It yeah. really is. Like, it's, a, it's like test driving a car well, even is if the mindset, yeah, right? but that's yeah. not how it should... Even if, if you did end up pursuing marriage by taking that route... It's going to have so many problems because it was founded under something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the point is, but still like that's another, that's one of the factors we see is that, um, men want to see if marriage is something well, that they want. And that's a key. Men go into this to see like your friend, mm -hmm. if this is something I even might want. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I am reserved. I'm reserving judgment on this. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I want to get married. I'm just checking into it. Yeah. Yeah. But the problem is that's not how girls go into it. It's true. Women go into cohabiting relationships and they don't view it as I'm going to try this to see if I want to get married. They view it as this is a step toward marrying my boyfriend. Yes, because uh, women are more relationally built. That's mm -hmm. just how they are wired. Yeah. So they're thinking, they're like, okay, if we're moving in together, this is getting serious. Like yeah. I'm ready this to- This is a big step. Yeah, and then like, the next gonna... step after this is marriage. Yeah. And the guys over here going, no, no, no. I'm Let's just seeing this if out. I might want to do yeah, that. Yeah, and then if he bails and it's just- Boom. Devastating. Like, like devastating. Well, and this is, this yeah. is the real problem becomes this. <clears throat> so is marriage like uh, buying a new car where you need to test ride it to see if you like it mm. or not? That's the question. Now, biblically, we would say, no, that's not what marriage is like. Mm -hmm. But, um, well, it, that's not what marriage is like in the sexual component right. or yeah. the living together component. Right, right. But of course, you need to know the person you're marrying. Of course. Marrying. Like, and that's what dating is for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But approaching, approaching marriage with the cohabiting mindset of, we're going to check it out and see if this is something we want to go through with, it really messes up and confuses um, how you assess marriage. And here's why. Mm -hmm. Remember how we talked about when um, two people sleep together? Uh, one of the things that happens uh, biochemically is mm -hmm. like our bodies make kind of a chemical contract together with oxytocin and vasopressin, yeah. right? We talked about that last week. And so your body is is committing to this other person. <clears throat> and that's why, um, you know how like sometimes there'll be women who are in abusive relationships? 
Yeah. And the guy is just a dirt bag. Absolutely. But they, yeah. they won't admit it and they defend him to the death. Uh-huh. It's because they've had sex with him mm-hmm. and there's this chemical bonding that happens and they can't um they can't see him in that light. It's it's biological. It, it is it happens. It, mm-hmm. it is. And so we've seen this happen with guys and with girls. But when so think about this. Because that phenomenon happens, so we're going to try on marriage and live together and sleep together and see if we like it and if it works for us. The problem with that is you're, you're, you're entering it as an evaluation period or an mm-hmm. assessment tool. Yep. But when you sleep together, it rewires and messes your relationship up in a sense. It's a good thing that you bond like that because oh, that's how yeah, God yeah. intended it to be. But you're bonding prior to a commitment being made. The commitment needs to be there first, and then the bonding occurs. Mm -hmm. When you do it this way, you are not in a healthy place to assess how your relationship's actually going. It's true. Yeah. Because because you're emotionally uh-huh. bonded to this person now, right? Well, that's exactly what uh, the point I was going to make earlier is that, like we talked about this a lot uh, on our previous episode. But the thing is, is like that that's one of the reasons why we mentioned earlier uh, that it's even more devastating on women uh, when this doesn't work out. Because mm-hmm. like you said, they're thinking, OK, like I'm doing this because this is the next step towards marriage, not yeah. like a test drive, because <clears throat> They are the way they are wired chemically is that through sex, mm-hmm. they are bonded to that person. Yeah. So, so uh, that's what's happening here. So it makes it much harder. It makes it harder to assess. Now, now here's the thing. So uh-huh. I'm going into this to evaluate if I want to marry this person. Yeah. Which means you're going to see some things you like and maybe you see some things you don't like. And if mm-hmm. there's more that you don't like, you get out. Exactly. But yeah. when you're sleeping with them in a cohabiting relationship, it makes it much harder, maybe impossible to assess an unhealthy relationship. Yeah. Whereas if you weren't sleeping with them, you could assess an unhealthy relationship easier. Mm -hmm. So by living together, it can make it much harder to end the relationship if it's unhealthy. Yeah. So it's just, it's a stupid tool that doesn't accomplish what people say they're getting into it for, right? When people say they want to move in together to see if they're compatible or if it'll work, they're actually hurting their ability to evaluate the relationship. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It absolutely is. And it brings all those other problems we talked about of how, you know, you it's less income, less yeah. savings, mm-hmm. more domestic violence, all of that kind of stuff. It just, cohabiting is such a bad idea all around. There's really no benefits to it. And a Surprise, surprise. Scripture has kind of been in line with this all along. It absolutely has. And uh, we're going to, like, I want to uh, end on some scripture here. But this is this is to address uh, one of the common things that you hear a lot. Oh, often. gosh. Yeah. I've heard this so many times. I'm sick of hearing about this. Well, yeah, well, yeah it's, it's a joke, really, is what <laughs> it is. I'm serious. Like, yeah. it's a joke. But a lot of people out there, Christian couples who that do this. That are cohabiting. That yeah. are cohabiting will say, we're married in God's eyes or married in our hearts, yeah. meaning meaning we are committed to each other and we are not going to go through the formal process yet. We, yeah. we know we love each other. You know, you've heard all the excuses. Yep. That's what happens. People say this. People do this. Yep. And so the scriptures answer to, has an answer to this. this it does. It does have an answer to the married in our hearts thing. Yes, yes. And it says in John 4, 16 through 19, uh, this is Jesus. He said, Jesus said to her. And this is the woman at the well, right? Oh, the yes. Samaritan thank you. Woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should provide context. Speaking yes. to the Samaritan woman at the well. Yep. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. 
The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> wow, like, yeah, wow. shocker. Yep, she, yeah, yeah I, he is right? a prophet. That's right. He is a prophet. It's like, like well done, Sherlock. Like, there you go. Like, look at this. <laughs> yep. But no, so all jokes aside, like, seriously, that's his end. Jesus is making a distinction mm-hmm. between the woman's five husbands and the one who she is cohabiting with. Yeah, and they're right? not the same. They're not the same. So she that's had why. five husbands, and then this new guy that she's with uh-huh. isn't her husband. Well, that's what he says there. He's like, I, I, you were right in saying that. Yeah, you're honest with me. That guy isn't your husband. Yeah, you're not lying to me, but the thing is, is yeah, he's not your husband. That's the thing. So yeah. here's the thing. Married in our hearts. She's mm. she's living with a guy. She's sleeping with yeah. a guy. But Jesus views him not as her husband, even though she already has had five husbands. Correct. So why isn't this sixth guy her husband? And it, I mean, we do believe Jesus is God, right? So then yes. technically, wouldn't that imply that that is not married in God's eyes? Yes. And he literally says by word of mouth... That is not marriage. So when people are cohabiting or they're sleeping with, you know, their partner and they're saying, well, it's not a big deal according to scripture because we're committed and we're married in God's eyes. And we listen, Jesus doesn't share that opinion. He Mm -hmm. makes a distinction between marriage and cohabiting. There is a difference. Yes. Yes. And now the question becomes, what's the difference? And this is what I think is fascinating about it because Mm -hmm. the Bible doesn't say that you have to go down to the Superior Court of Arizona and mm-hmm. get a marriage license and pay the $40 or whatever. Yeah, make it legal, And whatever. then sign yeah. it with a, you know, a clergy member. That's what we have to do here to make it legal in our of state, course, yeah. in our country. Um, so the Bible doesn't say you have to do that, right? In other parts of the world, there's different ceremonies in cultures that mm-hmm. you have to do to show that you're getting married. But when it comes down to it, I think that God wants us to do the cultural customs of the time period we live in that show I am making a public announcement, a public commitment Mm -hmm. to this person before my friends and before God. Yeah. Whether it's signing a license, whether it's walking around a tree eight times, whether it's bonding your hands together and drinking, whatever it is, right? God wants us to do what our culture sees as a public profession of our commitment to this other person. Yes. That's what he mm-hmm. wants of us. And he made the distinction that this Samaritan woman hadn't done that in her cultural context with yeah. the sixth guy she was with, but she had done it with the other five. Mm, that's true. So if you're out there and you think, oh yeah, we're married in our hearts, we're committed to each other. Listen, that's not biblical. Jesus says you need to get married with what marriage is in your society and with what it represents of publicly declaring before your friends and before God that you're committed. We need to do that. Yeah, yeah. If you're sleeping around and you don't think it's a big deal, it's a big deal. It's really harmful to you. It's really harmful to the person that you're with. And it goes against what scripture has said God designed sex to be. We can't be living that way. Mm. And you might say, this is so crazy. This is prudish. This is puritanical. This is archaic. Or judgmental. Yeah. You hear that Here's often. the deal. Maybe yes. our culture is so backwards mm. that what's right seems very odd to us. Well, it's true that this is something that is normal, right? 
Like, I mean, I know sure. several people who do this. I'm sure you know people who do this. Dude, most of my friends growing up were sleeping around. Yeah, exactly. Most, I mean, in college, I went to a Christian college, and a lot of people were sleeping it's, around. That's the thing. But it's not yeah. good for us. This is not. That, that's a sad thing. Uh, you often find this in the Christian community, and that's that's the thing. It's like it is not exclusive to non Christians. This yeah. is something that people all across the board do. And it goes against God's word, and it yep. goes against what's natural and what's good. Well, and even getting into back, back into last week, remember the, sure. the three purposes for sex are mm-hmm. procreation, um, unity and oneness, and then a taste of a foretaste of heaven. Uh, we've believed the lie that pleasure is the purpose of sex. That's yeah, and that's why yeah. people are sleeping around before they're committed and before they're mm. married. That's why. Because they believe the lie that pleasure is the purpose. When it's not the purpose, it is a motivation to do it for the purposes. And it's a beautiful gift. Yeah. But as Christians, we got to really get a handle on what God designed sex for, what it is supposed to be about, and how to do it correctly. Mm, and yeah. scripture tells us it's not a secret. It's not a secret. No. But we really need to get our sexual ethic in order because when mm-hmm. we go along with the culture and what they say is normal, it really ruins a lot of things. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, please, if you have any questions about anything we covered today, but please feel free to send us a message. We, we would love to answer any questions you have about certain situations or anything you're going through in your life. Cause, or even just to pray for you or pray for some people, you know, uh, yeah. we want to be a resource for you guys. So please feel free to reach out. Uh, we're on all social media platforms. So you could do that. But, uh, thank you guys for joining us today on Christ Culture and Coffee. Again, I hope this episode was, um, uh, beneficial to you, or at least to people, you know, who you can maybe share this with uh and be be loving be kind be gracious to mm-hmm. people uh and that's our goal like we we don't do this to just condemn people right that's not our purpose in this we're doing this because it's important that we understand what god's will is for our lives yeah and it's better for us it is better for you if you follow god's law and that's been tested and proven time and time again it is and if and if you screwed this up mm-hmm. which a lot yeah, of people yeah. have there's forgiveness. Yeah, and of God's course. And God's good, and there's healing. And so it's not like, oh, that's it. It's the worst sin ever. It's not. No, there no. is There's healing, and there's forgiveness that comes from the Lord, even even within sexual brokenness. And so that's something that's mm-hmm. encouraging to me, and I hope it's encouraging to all of you. But we really should be a group of people. If we call ourselves followers of Christ, mm. we should follow the things that he said. Amen. We should yeah. at least believe the things that he said. And when it comes to the sexual ethics, so many of our brothers and sisters don't. Yeah, it's so unfortunate, but that's that's the thing. And that's that's what we wanted from this episode is to uh, hopefully shine a light on this area and give you guys some clarity in what Jesus says about sex and about a cohabiting yeah. versus being in a marriage relationship. And again, just hope this was beneficial to you and that you are able to gain something out of that. Yep. Hey guys, thanks so much for being with us today on Christ Culture and Coffee. And we will be back next week with another episode talking about theology, talking about apologetics, and talking about how we live out what God has called us to do. We'll see you next week. If you enjoyed the show and felt that this podcast was beneficial to you, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you become a Level 4 supporter on our Patreon page, you can get yourself one of our stoneware, Christ Culture, and coffee mugs, as well as a t-shirt and a sticker. We are available on all podcasting platforms, as well as YouTube, and we are also available on all social media platforms. Thanks so much for listening to Christ Culture and Coffee.